This is a WTOP original podcast. From Podcast One. Previously on Colors. Internalized racism. I tend to use the term internalized racism to represent the experience of people of color who have internalized the racism from society. Coming up in this episode of Colors... The racist murders of 10 African-Americans in Buffalo, New York, struck a chord with Tharaha Thavakumar. I live about, you know, an hour away from Buffalo. Um, I was numb. I was afraid. She warned us right here on Colors in December of 2021 that something like this was coming. So my warning was that this is happening and we need to be aware and we need to do something now. But for some reason, nobody's hearing her. That's my frustration with this, is this is happening and no one seems to want to acknowledge it. That's coming up in this episode of Colors. Simmering racial tensions. Segregation now and tomorrow and forever. Fighting injustice. I have a dream. Conflict looming. Brutality exposed. I can't breathe. I can't breathe. The search for solutions starts here. From WTOP in Washington, D.C. This is Colors, a dialogue on race in America. Check the mic and make sure it sounds right, boys. My name is Jerry. I'm an African-American from Bowie, Maryland, by way of St. Croix, U.S. Virgin Islands. My name is Katie Musselman. I am a Korean adoptee who was raised and currently live in Harleysville, Pennsylvania. My name is Ken Duffy. I am white, first-generation Irish-American born in New York. My name is Gwendolyn Hume. I am Anishinaabe. I grew up in northwestern Ontario. My name is J.J. Green. I'm black. And this is Color. It sounds right, boys. We recorded this podcast about a week before the horrible shooting at Robb Elementary School in Uvalde, Texas. I was speaking on this particular podcast with Tharaha Thavakumar about the shooting in Buffalo at the supermarket that killed 10 people. I was talking with her because I recalled us having a conversation last year on this podcast about a threat that had been made at a high school outside of Rochester in Pittsford, which is where she lived, by a high school student with a gun. Tharaha is a parent and a therapist. And by the way, the Buffalo shooter had thought about going to Rochester to engage in similar activities. So we spoke to Tharaha about her concerns. People warning about this and people not listening. First, I'd like to get you to give me your thoughts on what took place in Buffalo. Um, There were 10 people that were killed at a supermarket shooting by what authorities believe was an individual who essentially is sympathetic to white supremacist ideology. Give me your thoughts about what took place. 
Um, so yeah, when I heard about the shooting, um, I was shocked. Um, initially, like it wasn't known whether it was racially motivated or not. I live about, you know, an hour away from Buffalo. Um, so it was definitely close to home. And then once it was, you know, once the information started to come out um, that it was racially motivated and then more information kept coming out, um, I was numb. I was afraid. Um, you know, I was horrified um, as a person of color um, who feels like they're targeted a lot in my own little town. This was just kind of very close to me. Yeah. Uh, so I think it was um, it was it definitely was a shock element. Yeah. You know, the reason that I ask you that question is because uh, we on Colors have had an interaction with you before. You were a guest on our show before. And one of the reasons for it was an article that came out in the newspaper not too long ago about um, a high school student who made a video of himself with a gun talking about why he carried the gun and basically that gun um if i remember correctly his his message was that he used it or carried it in case he needed it to kill people of color this right. was in your very community yes and when i looked a little deeper into this buffalo situation i realized that this individual supposedly had conducted some kind of surveillance in rochester which is near where you live yes and that that immediately made me think of what you said before you warned us about this right yep so tell us what your warning was for us so i think so my warning was that this is happening and we need to be aware and we need to do something now um and i don't know how many different like when the news article came out, like, you know, we were, it was a thing. We talked about it multiple times and then it kind of fizzled out. And I think that's my, that's my frustration with this is this is happening and no one seems to want to acknowledge it. Um, you know, and it's, it's scary for those of us who have been calling it out and can see this, see it happening. Um, and then there's, multitude of people who are in denial about it. Um, you know, just, you know, yesterday with school board elections in our suburbs, um, there was a candidate in my own town that, you know, who was supported and endorsed by um, groups that had that were rooted in this white supremacy ideology. And, you know, whether she, whether this candidate agreed with it or not, you know, they obviously endorsed her because some of this candidate's views supported what their group mission was. And I called that out. I told, you know, I literally said on social media, this candidate was endorsed by groups that have white supremacy ideology and the amounts of people who attacked me on and are still attacking me on social media saying that I'm a racist and that I'm, you know, creating div division in the community and that, you know, I'm a bully because I'm calling this out is, is like, 
it's it's shocking to yeah. me that that's the thought process. But, you know, as a therapist and as a mental health professional, that's also, you know, not and I'm not saying hate and mental health are the same thing at all because it's not. Um, but trying to figure out people's behavior is. And so when everybody is triggered by this and calling, turning it around and putting it on me, clearly people are uncomfortable and it's shaking things up. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and I think that's what's what needs to happen is we need to call it. We need to call the elephant in the room. We need to say what it is. And I said this before and I'll say it again, even in my own small town, it's racism is ingrained in the culture. White supremacy is ingrained in the culture. When we believe our white, we believe white students over those of color. Yeah, that's ingrained in our system. Yeah. So I want to talk about that. The student there for a minute. Um, This individual in Buffalo, the suspect is 18 years old. And um, this, I would imagine, is about the age range of the individual that uh, that essentially posted that social media, made that social media post that we talked about before a teenage, uh, a teenager. And I want to ask you how prevalent is this in your community to hear and see things from teenagers uh, about this, this kind of racist activity, how prevalent or, or, or frequent or common is that? Um, it is very common. However, if you asked the white community in my town, like I'll speak for my town, they'll tell you it's not clearly. But if you talk to those of us of color, we will tell you this happens all the time. Um, Even recently, um, you know, we've had so even after I've spoken to you, we've had an incident with an elementary school rainbow club, which is for our LGBTQ community. It's kind of similar to a GSA. Um, We and it's an optional parent after school group um, for kids. Right. Yeah. So it's completely optional. Um, and parent, the, those of us that were, um, involved in starting that up, we, you know, we've been called pedophiles, predators, groomers, like you name it, we've been called. And then, you know, there's been incidences where a white student has called a black student, the N word. Um, and when we ask about it, well, that didn't really happen. Well, no, it did. Right. Like, why would someone make that up? Yeah. Um, you know, and so there, and recently, um, there was a student who was being bullied and harassed by a white student for months, asked multiple people for help, um, and then finally ended up in an altercation. Like it was, you know, how much can you take? And the black student ended up, you know, talking to the white student saying, what is your problem? White student laughed at her, you know, in the black student's face. And it ended up in the black student punching the white student. And now the black student is suspended for the rest of the school year. Um, you know, but we've, we, you, the school district missed all of the signs before where the student, you know, brought this up or brought, you know, the situation up and we didn't do anything because, you know, in the school district's mind, our white students are not wrong. Right. Um, so as a person of color and as kids who are of color, right. We have to do double duty just to prove that what we're saying is correct. And that like in and of itself, you know, so we are rooted in a system of white supremacy. You know, there's no other way to say it. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, the truth is the truth. I remember you also telling us, too, that a sitting official in your area attacked you as well after you brought up your concerns. Uh, Remind us what that official said. 
So the it was it was our town supervisor and he went on to a radio host and said that, you know, we live in a parallel Pittsburgh like it doesn't happen in the Pittsburgh he's from, um, you know, and the this town supervisor um, has repeatedly, you know, said that there isn't no there is no issues of racism. Um, I had an I had a discussion with our superintendent not too long ago, um, and he told me that I didn't know all of the facts. Right. Like it wasn't racially motivated incidences. And I'm like, no, they're all racially motivated. You just don't want to see it. Um, and so, you know, our leaders are repeatedly trying to deny the person of color's experience. Yeah. That, that, that is really disturbing, really, really disturbing. So, um, this has happened in Buffalo. Um, we know the problem that exists and I think your town is Pittsburgh, right? Correct. And that area, the Rochester area has similar issues, you know, on a broader scale. Right. And so is there any sense that this development in Buffalo is going to change things at all in in your area. I mean, are there people, do you, are, do you have more support at all now for what you were warning about uh, before or what, what's happening now? So the, so there is more support in the community. Um, however, that isn't going to change if our leaders don't change. So I'll give you another example. Um, we recently had our school aborted election, right? So we had four candidates running for two seats. Um, the school district has historically handpicked two candidates who are, who have handpicked candidates for the seats, right? So whether it's three or two, this year it was two, who will fall in line. So what do I mean by that? They will go with the status quo. They won't try to change anything. They sign a gag order, which means that they can't talk at board meetings. Um, everybody is one voice. So there is no individual, right? So if the superintendent says jump, they all jump. That's literally what this is. Um, and then we had a candidate who is... Um, who wanted to who was endorsed by the you know the groups that were supporting white supremacy and then uh we had another candidate who wanted to was a teacher 17 years um you know who wanted to do some dei initiatives bring the community together right so our union um and our superintendent our board they all allowed for these two candidates they supported them the union endorsed them um and ultimately they won, right? Because they were backed with some extra funding from the union um, to do signs and to do phone calls and postcards, et cetera. Um, so what does that do? That maintains the status quo in our town. So what does that mean for those of us? That means that our voices are still not being heard, right? So until, so no matter how many times we fill a boardroom, how many times we bring it up and ultimately media is what changes the response we get from our leadership, right? Cause they don't want to be in the spotlight. Um, so, but until we can change the leadership, it doesn't matter, especially in my town, it doesn't matter how many community members support this. Right. But if we can't change the leadership, then we, we can't move, right. We're still stuck in that position and that's the problem. Back to the threats against you and others who have spoken out about the concerns you have. Have you spoken to authorities there and what's been the response? 
So um, when I was threatened um, recently, um, it was through like a messenger, like Facebook messenger or whatever. It was a private, like it was a message to me. Um, and I called the cops because I, I have two kids who are in the district. I was worried for their safety, let alone my own. Um, and the cop told me, the police officer that came to my house told me that they can't do anything because it wasn't a physical threat. I said, but he literally told me to stay. I said, this person literally told me to stay away from schools. They told me that they were watching me and that I was a pedophile and a predator. Like it was, it was very threatening. And so the police officer said that they couldn't file a report because it wasn't a physical threat. Like he, the person who threatened me didn't say they were going to come beat me up or they were going to come hurt me. And I was like, but that's, that doesn't help. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, so like, you know, I've told the superintendent that I was threatened for this. I've told, you know, board members I was threatened for this and no one seems to care. Okay. So what about federal authorities, FBI? Um, I haven't gone that way because I feel disheartened, right? So if my local officials aren't going to say anything, then where do I go from there? Right. Well, like if you're not supported, you just kind of don't report it. Right. I mean, I think that's, that's literally been what's been happening for a lot of us that are of color. Well, you're looking at what's taking place and the, the nuances of what you're talking about. And you look at it against the backdrop of the fact that you warned about this possibility, something bad was going to happen unless local officials or others got serious about these kinds of threats. Buffalo may be something that might help you make your case to them. If you speak to them about your concerns, because they do have, uh, I believe a responsibility when people, especially when it comes to concerns about possible domestic terrorism, when people have these concerns about threats, um, this might help you uh, if you were to engage with them. So I would, I would highly, uh, suggest you do that. Okay. I seriously suggest you do that because that's, you know, something, you know, I say this all the time on the show, my day job is national security. So as a reporter, uh, and so I engage with FBI and, you know, U S officials all the time about these concerns. And I know right now there is a significant amount of concern in the federal law enforcement community about what took place in Buffalo and whether there are possibilities that this could happen again someplace else because of what they call the copycat theory. Do you, you right. see what I'm saying? Oh yeah. So now yep. is definitely a really good time for you to speak out and to, to connect with them and say something because there are people who, uh, and, and, you know, I have to say, I agree with them who say that stuff like what happened in Buffalo does not happen in a vacuum. Somebody has noticed, somebody has seen something, but there are reasons why people often don't speak out because maybe it, as it is in your case, sometimes you don't think people are going to listen or pay any attention. But, um, I do think though, that, um, that you can't let that ride. You have to speak out right now. Right. Seriously. Right. What are you going to do now? Um, what are you going to do next? I know that you've done a lot. I mean, I know that you've already found yourself in this, another concerning situation with, with, with folks in your town who, who are, are, are angry at you for speaking out, but what are you going to do next? 
continue to speak out. <laughs> um, that's, I mean, I mean, I mean, that's really what it is. Um, you know, I have become, you know, somehow, some way, the person who's going to call people out. And that's what I continue to do. Um, I know I've angered many folks in my town by saying white supremacy. But if we don't start labeling things and calling things out, then we don't know what we're dealing with. Right. Um, and I think, you know, that's where I stand is um, that I will continue to call things out. Um, the thing that I fall into is that because I am one of the ones that continue to fall things out, call things out. Um, the same people who call me racist, you know, they create an, another story and then I become like someone who you can't believe. Cause I just keep calling things out. Do you know no, what I mean? Yeah, I do know what you mean, but you know, um, you're not a complainer. Right. What you're doing is you're speaking out about a problem. And that's one of the things that a lot of people face when they speak up about problems, they become labeled as complainers. You're not a complainer. What you are is a citizen who is doing the right thing. And I understand where you are and how you feel about this. I, you know, I would say this to you, Thadahara, they're probably, if there's one of you, there's probably 50 other people who've noticed or who have the same thoughts and concerns, but they won't speak up because they're concerned about what that is going to, they're afraid of what it right. would do to their reputation. They're afraid right. of other people saying things, but then when the next person is injured or harmed or killed, they're, they're shackled with guilt saying right. I should have said something. I should have done this right now is the time. I know that federal officials, want to hear from you for sure, right. especially considering what took place with that earlier incident that we talked about. Right. The, the authorities in your town, the police um, have, has there been any other, have they reported or you, have you heard from them or anybody else, any other incidents like that one regarding the video, the, 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 the high school kid posted when we talked before? So what the cops said or what the Monroe, what our sheriff department said was that it was no imminent threat because it was an airsoft gun, which once again is very alarming to me because even if that was an airsoft gun, it doesn't mean this kid, this person is not thinking yeah. that if he had access to a weapon, he wouldn't use it. You know what I mean? So it's still a threat, whether it's a real weapon or not. Um, and so so once the you know, once our office, like our sheriff's office for that video said it wasn't an imminent threat, that's what our school said, too. Right. Like they said it wasn't an imminent threat because it wasn't a real gun. No, like it's still a threat. Like, do you, do you see what I'm saying? So this is yeah. why a lot of our folks are like very frustrated with our system is because it's a threat, right? Whether it's a real weapon or not, the fact that this person can even say that, that is the threat. I mean, that's why we end up with what happened in Buffalo, right? Because we've missed these signs and people don't realize that until it's too late. Okay. So what are your, uh, what's your message to other people across the country that are going to hear this podcast and in, in other countries as well? 
my message is keep your eyes open, like pay attention to even the smallest sign. Like if a person, if a person of color is telling you that they're constantly being harassed or they're being bullied and by a specific person or, you know, a group of people pay attention because this is what it ends up in. And then there's no point after it happens to be like thoughts and prayers are with you. Stop it before it happens. Right. Let's do the action before it gets to that. Thoughts and prayers aren't going to do anything if all the signs were there in the beginning. Yeah. And I would go even a step further, regardless of what your race is. If anybody does anything like this to you, correct. Um, speak up, say something. Right. And because it's not just color now, even our, you know, exactly. it's anybody that's historically marginalized, including our LGBTQ population. Like it's everybody is being targeted. Right. And yeah. that's the problem. So here I think is a piece of what may be a solution. And I don't, pretend to know the answers to these kind of complicated problems. But I do know that when people find themselves in situations like this, the pressure on them is tremendous to get relief, to get away from what the problem is. And oftentimes communities that don't see the entire picture profess limited support for these folks like Mm -hmm. you, but when it comes down, when the rubber meets the road, they won't say anything. They'll, they'll retreat back into the shadows. So it's absolutely important to document what you have, what you see, what you know, and make sure that others have access to this documentation and this understanding, and I'm sure the, and the understanding of what took place. And I I know you get what I'm saying, but I'm saying this for the benefit of other people, it's not just enough to say, okay, this is what happened and it happened. Then make sure there is a record of it documentation, because this can help police as it will help in this particular case in Buffalo, because as I mentioned at the top of this, this individual in Buffalo had also looked into the communities around Rochester, which includes Mm -hmm. your area. And it's not clear to us that this individual wasn't motivated by others or had friends or people that he engaged with that have the same ideas. So it's important to get this information out there. A hundred percent. I mean, it could have been like, he could have stopped here, right? Like it was three and a half hours to Buffalo is three hours to us. He could have stopped here. Yeah. I think we just, we need more people to be brave enough to step out, speak out and, you know, do it. We just, you need to be on fire all the time. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Kumar, for being brave, for being bold and for speaking the truth about things, even though sometimes speaking the truth is not popular. Yes. Thank you. Stay tuned for some thoughts about race in America and details about our next guest. You're listening to Colors. My name's Anna Smith. I was born in South Korea, grew up in Washington, D.C., and identify as multiracial, black, white, Korean. So I grew up in a really small, white, predominantly white town outside of Washington, D.C., about an hour outside of the city, in a white family. My parents are both white. I have a brother who's full Korean and two siblings who are also white. I was one of two Asian Americans in my class of a little over 100, and we're each half Asian. 
And so if that tells you anything about um, uh, the community I grew up in, uh, I, I don't know that I even knew. And again, the, the privilege of not having to think about race, that was the world in which I grew up and, and, and you know, for many, many years, never really had to reflect on being a person of color. It, it, as crazy as that might sound, it was teaching in Miami where my students would look at me and say, well, Ms. Smith, you, you speak Spanish, but you're not, you're not Spanish. You're not black, therefore you must be white. And they would confuse me frequently with Miss Nelson, the blonde haired, blue eyed teacher down the hall. Hmm. Because if we're both white people, they, they didn't see Asian. They don't know what Asians are. There's not a, a, a presence. They, they weren't sure which box to put me in. Right. And it was eye opening for me and having to really think about who I am and what I am um, and in terms to be able to explain it to second graders. This is Colors, a dialogue on race in America. If you have any questions or comments about Colors, send us an email. You can reach us at colors at thecolorspodcast.com. That's colors at thecolorspodcast.com. My name is Jerry. I'm an African-American from Bowie, Maryland, by way of St. Croix, U.S. Virgin Islands. My name is Katie Musselman. I am a Korean adoptee who was raised and currently live in Harleysville, Pennsylvania. My name is Ken Duffy. I am white, first-generation Irish-American born in New York. My name is Wendelin Hume. I am Anishinaabe. I grew up in Northwestern Ontario. My name is J.J. Green. I'm black. And this is Colors. Coming up in our next episode of Colors. We are a violent society. Mass shootings in America, supermarkets, elementary schools. There are more guns in in our society than, than people. And that gun culture is really showing us how dangerous it is. Gretchen Sullivan Soren, Cooperstown graduate program at the State University of New York, Oneonta. She's a distinguished professor of museum studies, and she says it's especially dangerous for people of color right now. The the replacement theory and some of these other ideas that demonize people of color. We talk about what to do about it. That's coming up in our next episode of Colors. Well, my friends, it is rare that I'm at a loss for words. And I'm not really at a loss for words tonight, but it's hard. To find them without saying something about Uvalde, Texas, and Buffalo. I've been uh, traveling and in and out of the loop here for a bit, but I want to make sure that everybody knows that I am extremely grateful for all of you who have lifted up the families of the people in Buffalo and Uvalde and in California and in every single sector of our nation and this world that are going through something. Thank you to all of you. Thank you to Hillary Howard, Mike Jakaitis, Joel Oxley, Julia Ziegler. Thank you very much to Roz Whitaker-Heck. Thank you to Rose Varner-Gaskins, the core family. Thank you to Gina Baysmore. Thank you to Sean Anderson, Mike Jakaitis. Thank you to Jamal Bowens. Thank you to Ava Ekpayuste, Treen Oppi, for our music. Thank you, Offshane. Thank you, Jesse Gallagher and Cosmic. And most of all, thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for taking time 
to hear what I have to say and our guests have to say. I really appreciate you. And I just want to say, just please keep talking to each other. And just as important, keep listening to each other. You can subscribe to Colors on Apple, Spotify, Podcast DC, Podcast One, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Colors, a dialogue on race in America. DMV Download, the new daily podcast from WTOP News is out now. Hosts Megan Clorty and Luke Garrett get the story behind the story. Every weekday afternoon, Megan and I will go beyond the headlines with WTOP reporters and sources to bring you more on the biggest local stories impacting you, our fellow Washingtonians. The DMV Download podcast is available now on all major podcast platforms. Subscribe today so you don't miss an episode. The DMV Download podcast is presented by Steamfitters Local 602.